like you to roundhouse kick us right in our religion, <laughs> punch us right in a poverty mentality, just a right hook right to all of our orphan spirit. Holy Spirit, we love you. Had an interesting day. I went, I went to the gym and I pulled out of my parking space after, you know, pumping tons of iron. And um, <laughs> I checked my mirrors and like it was completely clear and I backed out and there's this wide lane that you can back out into there's like no traffic there's not even another lane of parked cars but as I'm backing out I am abruptly stopped by something that I've run into and sure enough it's an SUV and uh, I get out of the truck and this guy's pretty rattled and uh it's a $75,000 Porsche Cayenne. I have destroyed his driver's side passenger door. And I'm driving a 1999 piece of steel called a Suburban. There's not a straight piece of steel on it. <laughs> I feel so bad. The guy was nice. Took the insurance. Uh, everything's up to date, so hallelujah for that one. Thank you, Jesus. Turns out it's going to be 20 grand in damage. <clears throat> and uh, I talked to the guy. Oh, you actually, uh, after that, I, I came straight to Storehouse, and I was playing my acoustic guitar here this morning with uh, Ariel Menchaca. We were working on some worship songs, and the insurance called me. I set down my guitar, walked away, but as I was walking away, I heard my guitar slide out the chair and slam into a coffee table. And it was the back left side of the guitar, just like the back left side of my truck. And at that point, the Lord had my attention. I mean, I had a, I had a serious dent on the back left side of my guitar, which is cool because I like a beat up guitar. You ever, you ever seen Willie Nelson's guitar? I'm going for that. Um, <clears throat> but, it, I mean, I've had that guitar, well, I mean, since 1998, just like I've had, I mean, that truck is in 1999, so, I mean, they both got dented on the bumper today. And um, the guy, uh, the, the car that I ran into, he was taking it okay, but he was like, uh, man, I've driven, I've driven beaters my whole life, and this is the first really nice vehicle I've ever bought. Like, a couple months ago. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I am so sorry. Like, don't let this ruin your taste for fine automobiles. Like, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, can I say sexy in church? It was a sexy Porsche Cayenne sports edition black. Well, I mean, through the emails, he saw that I was associate pastor, and that actually put his heart at ease that I wasn't going to try to, like, you know, get out of fixing his damaged vehicle. But the guy's name was Ishmael. And I, uh, just that morning, I actually listened to a message 
about moving from slavery to sonship. And you know that Ishmael is the son of the slave Hagar. It's Abraham's illegitimate first son when he wouldn't wait for the promise for his child of promise to come through Sarah. And so uh, then it like really got my attention because I backed up into a man. He's a great dude. So if he ever sees this, Ishmael, you've got a great name. But I backed up into a dude who's like literally means slavery or, or son of slavery. Uh, and uh, the, Lord, the Lord had my attention. Um, and, I, and I felt like he just wanted to talk about becoming friends with God tonight, moving from slavery to friendship. Um, I think that a lot of us received Jesus because we feared hell. That's what I did when I was like 12. Although I was speaking in tongues since I was like six or something. So put that in your theological pipe. But like I, <laughs> I did. I, I, at 12 years old, I was, I was stricken by the weight of my sinfulness and feared hell. I did not want to burn in torturous fires forever. And so I, I gave my life to the Lord. Anybody else have a similar experience? They didn't want to go to hell, and so you turned to Jesus? <clears throat> well, I feel like uh, along the way, some of us heard a, a better message that unveiled a clearer picture of God's love, while others along the way still feared that he would do terrible things if we got out of line, and that's the only reason we obey. Uh, there are some who along the way uh, discover his heart of covenant and patience and this relentless love. And we actually get free from the fear that introduced us to a God made in the image of an angry father to meet the God who is better than we ever imagined. See, when we, when we received Jesus, we became a new creation. That's like really good news. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We can, we can really rejoice in that. See, before that, we were prone to sin or slaves to sin. And after that, we, we became prone to righteousness, we were actually made into righteousness. At the moment of this great transformation, uh, amazing things happened, but were we instantly friends with God? The moment that you meet someone, are you instantly friends with them? Or is it something that you grow into? See, we were slaves to sin, but then we became slaves to righteousness. But I don't think that slaves to righteousness is where we stop. Because, you know, when you get saved, if, if it, your experience was anything like mine, there were a lot of incredible moments with God. There, there's a lot of hand-holding, you know, with Jehovah. And he's giving us, like, lots of attention and direction. There's a lot of like commands and obedience on our, our part. You know, he says jump and you say how high. And it's like, yes, Lord, you just, I need you real bad. Direct me day after day. I need to hear you constantly, right? But 
eventually it, it, it almost if, if if it's anything like my experience and the experiences of others that I've heard that kind of constant direction and constant commands and constant intervention started to wane off and did anyone feel at that moment what have I done and you start like repenting of everything <laughs> I, I would actually, I'd like to venture to say that in, in this process, we are becoming friends. We're growing up. In uh, John 8.31, Jesus says to the Jews who believed in him. Okay, so these are Jews who believed in him. Uh, if you believe in Jesus, what, what does that make you? A believer. Saved. Heaven bound. Purchased. Ransomed, transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. No buybacks, okay? Like, <laughs> if you believe in Jesus, you're a believer. But he says to these believers, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. So he, at that point, he's saying, welcome into the family. If you want to be my disciples or my friends, come on, follow me, hold my teachings, obey my commands. And he says, and then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, this uh, fear of the Lord is absolutely ne necessary in life. Uh, there's the famous verse, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But you know that no great athlete became the greatest athlete from fear of failure or fear of letting someone down or fear of not looking cool. And no great musician, you know, got into the highest orchestra in the land and became, you know, number one fiddle simply because they feared you know, not amounting to anything or they feared rejection or they feared failure. See, fear can only inspire some effort. It will not inspire great effort. See, day after day, if you're one of those athletes, you know, compete, competing to be great, there will be days when it is inclement weather, you've pulled your hammy, but you still got to go out and practice. There will be days when no one's looking and you could either sit inside and watch Netflix or you could go out with your, you know, a, a big bucket of baseballs and throw it at your target against that fence to become a great pitcher. But you're not going to go out there the moment that no one's looking if the only thing that is inspiring you is fear of failure. there actually has to be a love for the game, right? Like watching Michael Jordan, that guy had a love for the game. Watching the, just the, the greats in any sport or any arena in, in competition in life, you can, you can see them shining in the place of their encounter and their influence because they love what they're doing. And the ones who love the game will practice the most and the hardest, even if no one is looking. 
See, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but that verse does not say that it is the end of wisdom. It doesn't say it's the key to wisdom. It says it's the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is something that should never be lost. It is something that we should continually grow in because he is incredibly majestic and all-powerful and his voice shakes us to the core. He is love, so he has vengeance. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning, but I'd like to propose that friendship is the highest wisdom. And I believe the gospel proclaims this. Uh, I was a missionary for a while and got super broke real quick. And and uh, this this businessman who is um, he's all about the kingdom. I just I made friends with him. I didn't know that he was ridiculously wealthy, um, and that you know he was the the, the kind of guy who would just sow money at random whenever he feels the Lord. But I just wanted to be his friend, and. Um, when I was like at my brokest, a $5,000 check showed up from this guy. See, I thought he was cool before, but after that, I thought he was amazing. <laughs> and um, I was, you know, thank you for believing in me. You, you like this really turned things around. Just thank you, thank you, thank you. And he's the kind of guy who just, no strings attached. He, he sows the money and just ex- like, it's like, this is yours because I believe in you. Like, do what you will with it. It was 5,000 bucks. And then uh, as time went by and I was continuing to hang out with him, I found myself being very awkward around him. And, and I wanted to be like super joyful. Like I just came out of the prayer room and I had a word of the Lord and blessed and highly favored brother. You didn't make a mistake in sowing all that money into me. And I knew I was being awkward, and I was, I'm sure he figured it out, and I, but I didn't know how to stop. I was like, I'm just continually being, shut up, Jared, hey! Because like, <laughs> I had a poverty mentality. <clears throat> and um, it went on like that for months and months. I don't know, six or seven months went by, and I got kind of bummed out. I'm like, well, I don't know if I can be his friend because every time I get around him, I'm super awkward about how stinking wealthy he is. And I'm also bummed because he'll probably never give me money again. And the, <laughs> and the, and the Lord um, spoke to me in that moment. He said, uh, this guy has a degree of sorrow in his heart because of the gift he gave you is keeping you from being his friend. He said, there's sorrow in my heart because the gift I gave my children is keeping them from being my friends. See, they're trying to, they're trying to earn a gift, earn something that has been given. You know, when he said that to me, I'll never forget that day. It was May 5th. Um, so five, five, you know that five is the number of grace. It's like grace, grace. And he sent another $5,000 that day. The, the very day that I got the revelation from the Lord, I got another five, five, high five 
from on high. <clears throat> See, there can be no true friendship with God if we're trying to earn it. And really, what father wants to hear his son pleading his worthiness? You know, if Judah were to say, Dad, I, I did my chores today. Did I earn my breakfast? I wouldn't be proud of him. It would break my heart, and I would wonder what in the world did I do to make my son feel like an orphan in his own family? If he said, Dad, I, I worked real hard. Do you think I could ha have, you know, those Pop-Tarts or something? You know, this whole house is yours, son. John 8, 35 um, goes on to say, uh, now a slave has no permanent place in his family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. God wants friends, right? A man who is known as a friend of God is Abraham. And uh, Abraham had a crazy journey with the Lord. He still is on a crazy journey with the Lord. Hey, Abe, and the great cloud of witnesses cheering us on. I'm going to talk about how stupid you were for a minute, Abraham. Um, <laughs> he's like, good, Jeremy. They need to hear it. <laughs> um. <clears throat> Abraham made all sorts of huge mistakes as he was walking out this life with the Lord. I mean, big, colossal mistakes that you would think, well, that disqualifies him from full-time ministry, but no, he is still the father of faith, like the Pope. <laughs> um, Genesis 18, this day comes long where... Uh, God shows up to Abraham in the form of three men. So like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, whoop, 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 they're there. <laughs> I wonder what they look like in that moment. I mean, they could have taken any form, or maybe, that, maybe Jesus looked just like Jesus when he you know, like grew up after, you know, coming from Mary. Who knows? If he was that humble, he, I mean, he would have been kind of a below-average-looking Jewish dude. Uh, because he had no beauty that we should desire to look upon him. But, I mean, I'm just going on a rabbit trail. I really want to know what the Trinity looked like when they manifested themselves in the form of three men. Um, but they showed up, and the Lord said to Abraham, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin is so grievous, that I will go down, and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I'll know. There's all sorts of theological craziness in that sentence, but we're going to move on. I really want to dive into it, but we're not going to. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Uh, then Abraham approached him and said, God, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike? Far 
far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do what's right? If God manifested himself to you like that, would you in that moment speak to him in that manner? <laughs> Basically, God comes around and says, hey, we're planning on destroying that city. What do you think? And Abraham starts bartering with God. See, something had happened along the way. After all those altars that he built, he finally started talking to God. And then after the Lord reminded Abraham of his promise that his descendants will be like the, uh, the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore, Abraham talked back to him and said, I don't have a single kid. What are you going to do about that? Like, like when, when? <laughs> and like everyone's ducking for cover, like... Like, Abraham, calm it down, man. Like, he's, he's got lightning. Like, <laughs> but no, he's, he's actually being honest with God. And this, in this moment, God has shown up to Abraham, his friend, to talk to him about a serious issue that's going on and wants his advice, so to speak, and in this moment, Abraham basically is saying, I know you, God. This isn't like you. And it's not like God needed convincing of his own like, kindness. He was engaging in a, in a friendship with Abraham. And he wasn't like, oh, Abraham, you're just working me over because your nephew Lot is in that city that I want to destroy. No, Abraham bartered him all the way down to like, you know, if there's 50, are you going to destroy it? Mm -mm. If there's 45, you won't destroy it. And he barters him all the way down to, to 10 like a good Jewish man. <laughs> and it's like when I release a decree from on high in my house and I say to my kids, it's bedtime. And they're like, no! It's like they've never gone to sleep before in their lives. But then there's Judah, and he's like, if I clean up the playroom and brush my teeth right now, can I get one more show? One more cartoon, Dad. And I'm like, You're just, you're just working me over, son. It's bedtime. No, I'm like, <laughs> like, dude, I love you, man. Yeah, you clean up the playroom and brush your teeth. You get one more cartoon because we have a, we have a relationship, and, and God wants friends. He can talk to you like real talk. Let's say you had like a serious issue in your life and you needed real advice on it. Would you go to someone who worships the ground you walk on or someone who is your friend feels they have the ability to be completely honest with you?
you would go to the person you've established friendship with. That person knows they can call you out on your stuff. They can be completely honest with you. You wouldn't go to someone who thinks like you can do no wrong and and just, you know, and they're, they're kind of like suck-ups, you know, they're brown nosers and they're, they just like think everything you do is great because if you confide in them an issue, they're, they're going to say, oh, you, yeah, you're right and those other people are wrong. And God still wants friends to walk with in the cool of the day. He doesn't want worship robots. He wants people that he can have conversation with. He wants to share his heart with earthlings, those made in his image, the carriers of his glory. See, I think that Abraham, uh, Abram, at the beginning of his crazy walk after God encountered him, uh, started off as um, just obeying and fearing, you know, that's God. And then along the way, you can see that he begins to speak with God. He gets to the point where God calls him his friend and is confiding in him things of like destroy cities level. If I were to tell my wife, babe, you've got to love me. You're obligated to. That would be an indication that I've lost her heart, right? Our marriage wouldn't be in a great place. If I have to remind her of her vows, that doesn't sound like a good conversation. Like we've gotten to a pretty bad place. The friendship is on the verge of dying. See, there has to be a a desire to love, a desire to serve. See, slaves at like their their highest form, they 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 do what they're told. They just obey. But God doesn't want slaves. That's why he gave us a will. Even Jesus had a separate will from the Father. Remember in the garden, he said, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, let's do that. <laughs> but not my will, yours be done. See, see, God wants friends, which means that there, we, there has to be a choice in our, like, the ball is in our court to decide to not love him. That's why there's two trees in the garden. We get to choose to either love him or not love him. Without the choice, there is no love. But if we are just afraid of punishment, afraid of hell, afraid of failure, afraid that he's going to do something terrible to us the minute we screw up, we can't be his friend.
the, uh, the lesson that we're meant to learn while we're slaves is God, God is basically asking, can you do what I tell you to do when you don't know why? That's baby Christianity. That's newborn believer. You've just came into the kingdom and he's going to tell you, jump, and you say, how high? Do this and you do it. And, and you're constantly being directed by God like a slave. Do, do, do. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I don't know why, but this is, this is the right thing to do. And he's leading you out of addiction and he's leading you into, you know, the, the prosperous, favorable side of, you know, the, the direction that he wants you to go. And all along the way, you're just saying, yes, sir. Yes, sir. You don't know why. Or maybe he's leading you in the exact opposite direction of what you think should be your promised land and you're going around this mountain and you're complaining but you're still like kind of obeying him. He's trying to get us past the point where we're just simply obeying his commands. See, Jesus said in John 15, 15, no longer do I call you slaves. He says this to his best friends, his closest confidants. He says, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. I've called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. You begin to see the motivations of his heart, his intentions behind things. You begin to understand that his, his motives come from love. And if something smells fishier, you're like, that doesn't smell like God. That doesn't seem like you, Lord. And, and you're able to talk with him and you're like, oh yeah, that wasn't the Lord. Or maybe you're just, he's just trying to get you into a conversation with him. See, Abraham knew quite a bit about God, how he thought and how he operated, and that's why he could influence him. Moses did too. Do you remember after the golden calf incident? Uh, God talked to Moses in private and said that they've made like a golden calf. So I'm, I'm just going to destroy the whole nation. <clears throat> and, and Moses is like, you're not going to do that. <laughs> I mean, would you wipe away the people that bear your name? I mean, you walked us up out of Egypt. I mean, you're not going to do that. And God's like, you're right, Moses. <laughs> I mean that is a terrible paraphrase but you get the <laughs> you get the point you know that prophetic words from God are often a test for our hearts and not an unavoidable destiny sometimes he says something to you and you're like really God let's talk about this do you think that offends him? He's like, yes, we're finally having a real conversation. I said something to you about your destiny that you don't like, and so now you're arguing with me. You know, you can pour out your complaint to the Lord, and not only does God not get angry, he might turn it into eternal scripture like he did with David, who was continually complaining to God. <clears throat> um, Jeff and I are friends 
What if whenever we hang out, we only did what I wanted to do? <laughs> I mean, I would be kind of egocentric, controlling. You know, Jeremy knows best. We're only going to go to my favorite restaurants because trust me, those other ones, you might get food poisoning. Like I'm just controlling the whole situation. That wouldn't be a real friendship, would it? Do you know that sometimes God is wondering what you want to do for dinner? What you want to do with your life? There have been times I've prophesied something that God did not explicitly tell me to say. And it came to pass. Example. One time I was sitting by a, a pond with uh, Vincent Corcoran and another friend of mine named uh, Nate Shaver. And we were fishing in this pond from the shore Hadn't caught anything, but we weren't really there to like catch stuff. We were just hanging out. <clears throat> and 30, 40 yards out into this pond of lake size almost is this dragonfly that's about the size of a bird is what it looks like. And it's just going, just flit, flittering around out there. And we notice it. It's just way out there. It just It's hovering in this one spot for a while. I don't know what dragonflies eat, but it was probably looking for something to eat. And I just, out of my mouth, I said, I'm going to catch that dragonfly and feed it to a fish. And that dragonfly went, vroom, vroom, like started flying straight at us. And Vince and Nate were like, no way, dude. No way. No way. It's coming right at me. And I'm like. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm like sitting like in a like seated position on the shore. And I dropped the pole. And it flies over like about this high and I spring up and I, it flies directly into my hand. From like right about that high, I've jumped now. I fall flat on my back on the grass and I look at my hand like Smeagol looking at the ring. <laughs> and my friends are like, no way. <laughs> We put it, I'm like, I said I'm feeding it to a, we hook it onto a hook, cast it, catch a fish in like five seconds. We pull the fish in. It's the only fish we caught that day. <laughs> what if growing in the prophetic has more to do with growing in friendship than it has to do with growing in the prophetic? Instead of us saying everything that we specifically hear from God, what if occasionally we say things with God's heart and they come to pass? Because he's like, yeah, I'm going to do that. Just so you know, it's not heresy. 1 Samuel 3.19 
The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. Samuel was that guy who was always hanging out close to the presence of the Lord. He heard the Lord whisper his name and learned how to talk with him. Speak, Lord, your servant's listening. He grew up to be a friend of God and such a friend of God that he had so much of God's heart that the Lord was like, Samuel said something, I'm gonna do it. You can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. There's some New Testament for you. This, this whole train of thought happened last week while I was on vacation and we had the table topics questions and um, they're just like conversational starter questions and I got the question, if you could ask God one question, what would it be? And I snarkily said, What I would ask God is, if you were me, what would you do every day for the next 365 days? (laughs) In other words, I wanted to go back to being a robot. And I thought about it, like right after I said it, something didn't feel right about it. And um, the more I thought about it, it appealed to me less and less to be told what to do See, I don't want to go back to hand-holding, bottle-feeding, slave season. I want to know God so well that I truly partner with him in bringing great things from heaven to earth. See, he doesn't want us to back up into Ishmael. He doesn't want us to go back be bound again by a yoke of slavery that applies to both slavery to sin but it also says you're going from glory to glory don't go back to like trying to be a baby christian like you're growing up you're getting his heart you're growing in his nature and the things that you release on the earth You are a Lord of the Lord. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. He is giving you increasing authority and influence on the earth. And he just wants friends. Let's stand and pray. Jesus, we are no longer slaves to fear. But we are children of God. Ask that we could just move on into an even more intimate place in your in your heart. We would have an incredible relationship with you that Uh, our earthly best buddy might start to get jealous of the bromance we have with Jesus. (laughs) Jesus, we really want to be friends, just talking, 
and walking in the cool of the day. We want you riding shotgun. That's that we could grow just like Abraham did, just like Moses did, just like your disciples did, just like John did, to the point where we can ask you anything. To the point where we're, we're not afraid of getting rebuked by you for asking an honest question of our heart. We want to be a sign and a wonder in Dallas. We want to be a church that's just, that's just known as friends of God. That our identity would be friends of the Most High. In Jesus' name, amen.